What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's guest is Jen Sable Lopez, longtime friend of mine. She runs community today at OutSystems. She used to run community at Moz, the SEO company, and is just someone who's been in the industry for a very long time. So she knows what's up. She understands how communities fit into businesses. And we talk all about kind of the, the business value of community and how to build a community team and set your community team up for success. So for those of you who are looking to hire more community managers on your team and set them up to be successful and figure out what roles they should take on, we dive into all that. She's a straight shooter. She doesn't beat around the bush. I think you're going to take away a lot of insight here if you're trying to figure out how to build community at your company. All right, without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome everybody to the CMX podcast. So excited to have this episode here with Jen Lopez. Jen and I have been in this space for a long time together. We've known each other for a long time. Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I guess all podcast episodes right now are kicking off with this, you know, what is life like for you in in the quarantine? I would love to just kind of share a little bit about what you're working on right now. So how are things going? How, How have things been affected? Uh, well, you know, life's kind of upside down for me personally. It's, it's, it's all good. You know, with the whole family's here, my parents actually live with us as well. And so we're super careful, um, because of them and all that good stuff. So it's been interesting Seattle. I appreciate living in Seattle right now. We have great leadership and lots of rich people trying to help, (laughs) Right. Like Gates. That's good. Right. There's just lots of rich people around throwing money at things, um, which is nice for us. From work perspective, um, in the beginning of the year, we had planned um, we had kicked off in-person user groups last year and they were doing extremely well. And so our plan for 2020 was in-person user groups. You know how well that went over. We also had these developer days in the U.S. planned, um, just tons of in-person stuff. So obviously all of that has been changed. Um, but what's what's been really interesting is although our in-person user groups were doing really great, our online the pivot that we've made to online, we're finding you know a lot more people attend. Uh, because they don't have to, you know, travel an hour to get someplace or whatever the case is. Um, we just had one. So, so you've shifted a lot of your, the, all the offline stuff to online. Yeah. For, like everyone else yeah, is doing. Yeah, and for example, we have um, four or five user groups in Brazil. And earlier this week, maybe it was not last week, I don't know, really all days are the same now. So Yeah, what is time? Right? What is time? What are days? I don't know. At some point recently, we had our Brazil user group. And instead of having these four individual groups, we just had them all combined to one. And I think we had Mm. like, uh, you know, 150, 200 people on the call. Um, And we have it set up in a Zoom style where anybody can jump in and talk and whatnot. And they've just been fantastic. Um, Yeah, it seems like people are really craving online 
anything yeah. right now, just any sort of human interaction. And so Definitely. if virtual events weren't, weren't working before, they certainly seem to be now. And, and those events, are those run by community members or are you running those events? For the most part, they are run by our community organizers. So our our MVPs or other community champions that we have. Um, right. In some areas like the U.S., we actually run those ourselves just because yeah. um, the community here is a lot smaller than it is in the rest of the world. Um, so that's been a focus. So it's kind of, it depends on, it depends on the group, but for the most part, I would say 80 to 90% of them are run by the community. Right. And so for that Brazil event, mm-hmm. each of those local hosts kind of contributed to that one event rather than doing yeah. their own individual yeah, ones. Exactly. That's really cool. We've seen that as well at CMX or CMX Connect program, which is similar. Mm-hmm. It's community run events. It's like when it is local, they're all doing, you know, individual events. But now that it's all virtual and essentially global, uh, we're starting to see them collaborate and work on events together. Uh, and we just did CMX Global, which got all of them involved yeah. in, you know, content and organizing and emceeing. And so it's kind of making it even more collaborative. Which that was awesome, by the way. I have to say... Um, Specifically, oh, so the whole event was great, but the end, my whole team, we were all like jamming and and um, partying down at the end. We were like, "This is to the DJ. We were like, this is so much fun. This DJ, this is amazing." <laughs> the DJ crushed it. That that's every virtual event, at least a big conference, should probably end with a DJ because it, it made it feel so. It felt like a real event, yeah. right? Like you could unwind at the end, and we thought everyone would just leave and go to work. But we had, you know, I think we had 2,200 people show up to the event as Uh a whole. And there were still five to 700 people stayed for the DJ. Well, we were there. (laughs) Which we were shocked um, by. um, My team is uh, in the U.S. and Portugal. And we were all there from home dancing. We were like laughing. We're like sending all these animated gifts of us dancing. Love it. (laughs) Uh, That makes me really happy. Awesome. Before we kind of dive too into the weeds, uh, there's lots of things I want to talk to you about. Can you just give kind of a, a couple minute overview of, you know, out systems of your community? Uh, who are your community members and what are the kinds of programs you're running? Yeah. So out systems is a uh, low code development platform. Essentially what it is, is it makes it uh, a lot faster to build web or mobile or reactive web um, applications. Right, which is a whole movement now. There's like no code, which anyone can build without needing to code, and then low code, which is kind of reduced. You still have to know how to code, but it's it makes it a lot simpler and faster. Yes, and the other thing is you can usually, with low code, you, should, you can usually extend it, right? So as a developer, you can take it and do more with it than just the drag and drop, drag and drop and such, right? Like a, if this, then that could be, is often, for example, put into that no code where you just say like, connect this thing to that thing and do your thing and then that's it. Whereas with low code, um, you build the app and then you can also, you know, add things to it and and do additional things. So our community is, um, uh, they're developers. Now, some of them are, you know, what we consider a traditional developer. Um, but we also have, and, and not, you know, not as many, most of ours are these traditional developers, but we also have what we call citizen developers. And these are the folks that are, um, 
you know, their first development language essentially is out systems. So they're learning how to do these things. They're learning to build um, applications and such with out systems. For the most part, they often have some sort of technical, you know, there are folks who are the people in Excel building macros and, you know, they had created their own access databases back in the day and were running all the things off of them, right? So they may have some technical ability. But for the most part, it's a developer community. And I should also add the company OutSystem started in Portugal. So our community across Europe and even even all over APAC is um, pretty big. The brand is known really well there. Um, In the U.S., uh, low-code is just really getting started as a as a thing, as you mentioned, like Salesforce is now talking about it. Microsoft is now talking about it. And so as they talk more and more about it here in the U S it's becoming, you know, it's sort of becoming the, the name low code isn't as scary, I think, as it was even a year ago, because people Mm. are talking about it a lot more. How many members are we talking about roughly? So the the total number is uh, like, I think we just hit 300,000 but that is the um, total community members ever number. We mm-hmm. have about 20,000 active each month. So each month, people coming to the site, logging in, downloading Service Studio, which is um, the IDE that they use to build the apps, or you know, looking at the forums, whatever the case is. So about 20,000 active mm-hmm. members a month. Get it. It has grown in the past two months. Because I would say we, ha- we have a theory that either people have more time, so they're at home, they're learning, they're spending more time, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of new totally. uh, developers, or they're looking for a career change, either they were just laid off or, you know, there, there's lots of reasons right now. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen an increase of new developers coming and learning and going through our training courses and that's interesting. Yeah, I also kind of talk about low code and no code often as I, I think it is something that's contributing to community becoming more important to businesses because historically businesses could differentiate by having better technical teams and better products, but developing a product is just becoming easier and easier because of low code and no code options. Whereas, like you know, anyone can build. An app, uh, people can use like Shopify, they can use a lot of existing tools. And so now that it's becoming more important to have a community as a differentiator from other companies, because anyone can essentially build uh, the same product. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that, that that's been really important for us. And what's really great is seeing the company, um, the CEO, you know, across the board, people reaching out to us and asking you know, how do we involve the community in this? How do how can I talk to the community about that? In our recent company update, I would say, I guess it was a couple couple weeks ago. Again, time, I don't know. I made a note of how many times the CEO mentioned the community and um, how important they were and, you know, how we need to make sure that we're, you know, keeping things rolling because we have a lot of people who count on us. And it wasn't just here are all these customers, but it's like, here are all these developers that are, you know, they're they're building their careers around it. Um, if we can have a platform, but if there's nobody to actually work on it, what does that matter? Right. So it's really it, it it's really exciting to hear 
things like that being discussed, right? And the company as a whole. You have a lot of buy-in. Yeah, really, really getting it. I mean, it helps that, you know, literally, like, if there are no developers, it doesn't matter if, you know, like, people aren't going to buy it. You are... you are a platform, yeah. so without developers, your product doesn't exist or work. Without hosts, Airbnb doesn't work. Without editors, Wikipedia yeah. doesn't work. So it seems like a much more clear value uh, for businesses that rely on humans contributing. Mm-hmm. And and so is that kind of your objective as a community team is all about, you know, making those contributors successful and connecting them to each other? Like, I guess, yeah, what are what are the objectives you're trying to achieve? Yeah, so our biggest thing is we really look at it in, in two ways. So on the customers and partner side, we have a lot of people who are using our, our customers who are buying and paying for to use the platform. They're looking to train, like if it's a new customer, they're looking to train their current team on OutSystems or they're looking for a new team or they're looking to connect with a partner who can set things up, whatever the case is. So we're always looking to help our community level up. So whether that is, you know, making sure they get an answer to their question quickly in the forums, or even on a a Google search or an internal search, they can find the document that they need or the video that they need or whatever the case is. We have a bunch of like, it's called the Forge and it's reusable apps that people can use. So so somebody has created an app for tracking staff in their COVID-19, you know, keeping a health update thing. We had that uploaded into the Forge and then anybody who uses OutSystems can download and use it. But it's also certifications and training and really helping people to to keep leveling up in their career because not only does that obviously continue to help them personally, um, as we see them move up in their career, they're making more money, they're getting better jobs. They're also, the more buy-in that those developers have, the higher you know, that, that rate of, of those customers sticking around, right? Like we're going to retain them if their teams are like, no, we can't drop this because now we're all in and we love out systems, right? The other side of that is bringing new developers in. So while my team is very focused on sort of that retention and leveling up of helping them get through those levels. The other side of the community team, still a part of community, that is really doing a lot of that acquisition and whether that's through education programs, bringing students in and, you know, getting them trained from the ground up, or we have something called uh, low-code school, which is taking developers of other languages who have been developing for two-plus years and teaching them out systems with the idea of getting them in at a higher level, right? So they don't have to restart their career at like a junior OutSystems developer. We can train them in a different way that they come in at a higher level and then help level them up. So it's it's kind of like onboarding new developers onto the platform and making them successful. Is your team also responsible for acquiring new developers, like actually reaching new developers and bringing them in essentially, you know, what a marketing team would do? Yes. So it's interesting. We, um, when I first started, we were actually a part of the, the developer relations team was a part of the marketing team. 
that changed and we're essentially in our own department now and we sit sort of next to marketing. Um, so we work with marketing on a lot of these things, but what's great is when it comes to marketing to the developers, the marketing team comes to us and says, you know, you're the voice, you know how the developers talk, help us, you know, market. And so we're, we're not running into that issue where seen in other places where marketing is trying to because marketing is mostly talking to the CIOs and the CTOs, and they're talking about, you know, Gartner is is saying this, and, you know, the developers don't care about that. Developers aren't, like, reading what Gartner they're, says. They're marketing <laughs> to the end user, yeah. and you're marketing to the developer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they're yeah. marketing to the people who are going to pay for it, right? So you're both doing marketing, but you're mm-hmm. you're marketing to the contributors, yeah. essentially, the developers. And developers don't really like being marketed to, right? Like it's a it's a it's just a different way. What do they like? <laughs> How do you acquire a developer? What do developers like? Now that's a question. What do they like? <laughs> um, but okay, so for example, we have a training course that is specifically for um, helping somebody who is a .NET developer to become an app systems developer. So speaking to them in the like, you know, this is how, so this is how you do this thing in .NET. This is how it translates into app systems. So actually taking people down that path of speaking to them in their language um, instead of trying to, I guess, sort of take the marketing spiel of, I don't know, I'm not gonna try to do a marketing spiel right now. Well, it sounds like so, like education. <laughs> yeah, education is a tool. So, how do they find out about that class? Um, so, this is all. Uh, this is an online course, and so it comes right. across in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's actually with the new customer, and the new customer is uh, like, "Oh, well, all my all my people are .NET. How am I going to get them trained?" And we say, well, you start them with this online training that walks them, literally walks them through. Then they can also uh, purchase, you know, in-person, well, not in-person right now, but boot camps and things like that. But a lot of it is coming from, it's coming from the sales and marketing teams, right? Um, As they're talking to prospects and different things, they will say like, okay, we have these different paths that you can take. We have a path for business analysts, and we have a team of advocates. So the advocacy team has been going, um, had been, again, going to these local BA meetups. And we they went for a couple months and like listened in and learned and then said, hey, can I give a talk about low code? And we also have a path for how does a, how does a, how does a BA learn out systems and kind of go down this path. So we do have a team of advocates who are a part of the greater community team who are also going out and doing some of this, you know, the marketing to developers and and to different groups and that sort of thing. But they would kill me if they actually heard me say marketing, that they were doing marketing. So scratch that. Not marketing. (laughs) Yeah, they're not doing marketing at all. All right. Well, it sounds like, yeah, I mean, it's it's the best form of marketing. It's authentic advocacy and people going out there and recruiting each other. Cool. Okay. So I think we have a good idea of the program. Your job is to 
acquire and engage developers. You're running forums, education programs, and events to engage them and give them the tools and education they need to be successful in their careers, as well as at using the OutSystems platform. You got it. That's it. My work here is done. That was good. <laughs> Just kidding. Done. Awesome. So I think that that's helpful context. So, I mean, w- one area that you're you're really experienced in, you've been doing this work for a long time. How, how long have you been building community or working on community teams? Um, 10 plus years. 10 plus years. I don't know. Again, um, it, it all is, who knows these days. But yes, 10, 10 plus years. And in a lot of your roles back at Moz and OutSystems, mm-hmm. you, you built community teams and, and you, you've talked a lot about kind of what goes into uh, building a community team and making it successful. So would love to kind of hear what, what do you think goes into making a community team successful, right? Because it feels like they take so many different forms mm-hmm. and there's so many different kinds of roles, even just within community, there's, you know, moderation focus, there's event focus, there's content focus, there's online and offline, there's people who are more of like the advocate type of community builder. And then there's a person who likes to be behind the scenes and work more with the operations and data. And so I guess high level, you know, how do you think about building an efficient, a successful community team? So for me, the, the whole thing is thinking about it as a team, right? Like the successful team is when, the various pieces sort of think of it like a puzzle, right? The various pieces of the puzzle all fit together nicely. And when you have them all together, you have, you know, the pretty picture because each person is going to bring something unique and different. And for example, if I'm uh, uh, just went through the process of hiring someone on my team and while the goal is to have this person work on you know, these two specific programs, what we may find is that she has strengths in other areas. And then we might make some modifications to who's running what program and managing what thing based on those strengths. If anyone has probably spoken to me for more than two minutes at a CMX or maybe heard me speak or something, they've probably heard me like go on and on about strengths and you know, how it's important to know your strengths and your team strengths and all this. Um, But it, it, it is extremely helpful to know where, not only where, what people like to do, but what they're sort of naturally good at. Do you do like a strengths finder or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've done strengths finder. I've tried all the different tests and various things. And sometimes what we, what I actually find works best because oftentimes people people can can also self-assess themselves a little differently than reality. Like someone wants to be really good at caring about details, but they are not good at detail. You know, it's not always the case, but right, sometimes that's, that's me. the case. You describe me. <laughs> so I have given into the fact that I don't care about details. I don't. Oh, I should work for you. I need people. I need people <laughs> who care about details because I don't. Uh, uh, yes, that's, that's me as well. So I, I'm bad at it. So I like to surround myself with people who are very operationally minded. Yes, that is exactly right. Because I just, I'm like, oh, that looks good enough. Ship it. And they're like, "Eh," you know, it's not perfect. So so what are the, what are like the strengths that you look for in hiring community teams? 
it's going to be different for the role, but you know, if, if you, if you're running a community and you're doing events and moderation and, and, um, all these things that you've just mentioned, right. You're, there's not a person that is great at all of those things. Now there may be people who can do those things, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily great at it or good at it or efficient at it. Right. Me doing the logistics of an event, I can do it. I'm going to probably bitch about it the entire time. (laughs) And it's not going to be the fastest because somebody else is going to be really fast at that. Right. So I'm looking for I'm looking for people who can who can take initiative. Right. Because so many times, especially nowadays that we're all stuck in our homes, we have to be able to jump in and do things on our own. I, for the past four years, have managed distributed global teams. And so I need people who don't need me around all the time to ask me questions and have, you know, they they need to be somewhat self-reliant. But then when it comes down to the specific tasks you need to do, I don't necessarily look for a certain skill set. I look for where those, again, where those strengths lie. And sometimes it's learning all the things. Um, I, I'm also a huge proponent of um, this new new person, Kat, who just started on the team. I want her to learn about all the programs. So she's not going to be running the MVP program, but she's learning from Veta, who runs that program, anything, all the things about it. I want her to get to know the user how, group. How is she doing that? So, do you actually have them like work on all the different projects when they get onboarded? Yeah. So, so for example, we just added a bunch of new. Um, I think we had eight new MVPs that just that were just added, and she was working with this other team member on setting up some like social promotion and different things. And so she had to, you know, go through their profiles and and she was um, putting together these like tweets and things. So she was learning about the MVPs and asking questions of, you know, the team member who runs it and different things like that. So she's learning the program um, as she's going through it, the education program, different things, just having her, you know, whether it's join calls, do tasks of like, can you, you know, try writing a um, forum post on this topic and you have to go talk to the various people to figure this out just to give her that. So having that broad knowledge also helps to not just, not just lean into those strengths, but really say, oh, I, I didn't know that this, you know, in the interview process, you think, okay, they're going to do this thing. Um, but I think it's not fair to say that I don't think I've ever hired someone to do this role and they did that role and nothing else. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's not how life works. Like they come in and then you're Everyone like, ends up overlapping. Oh, you're like, Oh, you're great at PowerPoint presentations. Huh? Guess what? You're doing all of our PowerPoint presentations <laughs> from now on or whatever, you know, like, Oh, you, you're a great writer. Awesome. So you're going to edit all of our posts at, you know, the, those things come up. I had an example. Um, so COVID-19, as it, as it came in, um, Andrea, who, uh, who organized and ran and created this, you know, sort of worldwide user group phenomenon last year, um, 
uh, as every, you know, thing, things were happening this year and we were having, you know, we were starting to take everything online and or offline and moving them online. And we had this project come up, uh, where we were like, we, we, what, what can we do? Well, we have, uh, community members and staff members and stuff who are saying we have the ability to make these apps really quickly. What can we do from a technology standpoint to build things that can help people right now, you know, that are dealing with all these various situations. And so we kicked off this program that we called the Community Response Program. And Andrea moved over to that and started running that. And we had someone else. Um, she had started the user groups. You know, she had all these things already running. She has a quarterly council with the organizers and all of this. And so at that point, someone else could move in and run them from there because she had kicked it all off. Um, and she came into this new program and has been running it. And um, we've kicked off 18 projects with people around the world on these various apps. Um, and she's essentially been running this program because she's really awesome at coming in and building something up, right? And then kind of uh, having it so that there's playbooks. I mean, there's a user group playbook. There's all of these things that she's set up. So we were able to, you know, she was able to jump into this new project quickly. And we knew that because we've been sort of, I don't want to say testing her, but we've seen what she can do and where her strengths lie. So when it came up, we knew who the right person was. You didn't know that when you hired her, though. Not actually. She started the week before I did, so no, okay. I did not. <laughs> so it, it sounds like a little bit like you hire people for. You, you talked about like people who are self starters, people who will take initiative. I think that's a pretty, you know, any role you kind of want to see that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you you trust you hire good people, not necessarily for a specific need. That sounds pretty unique, actually. Like, I think most companies will say, like, well, we really need someone to run the events program. Um, let's find someone who has experience with events or yeah. who we believe will be great at that. I mean, you have to look for. So, so for example, the, in this new role, the goal is here in the U.S. that she will run user groups and education program. And right now, that's still what the path is. Um, but I'm. I've made it very clear that, you know, we could find that, I mean, like what happened with this COVID-19 project, like stuff happens and knowing where she fits best, it may end up being that, um, you know, what if we decide to not continue with the user group program? Um, I don't, that doesn't mean that, you know, she's not going to be around anymore. It means we're going to find that right fit for her into the organization. I've actually seen it a lot in health systems in general, um, where people have moved roles and um, it fits so perfectly into my rely on your strengths, where somebody goes from this, from a role in product to a role in um, community uh, because they're the best person for the fit for this role because they're really good at doing this thing as opposed to right. I'm on product and I can only move up within the product organization or whatever. What do you think the biggest mistakes are that companies make when hiring for community roles? 
Um, I think number one, when people hire for community roles, um, we've all seen those job descriptions that lists like 500 tasks and, you know, with, with the thought that there's going to be, uh, this unicorn that exists that is really great at doing all of these things. I think that can be said for probably most roles, but when I, when it comes to community, um, if it's a moderator role, you know, it takes a unique person who can do that all day, right? Like who can actually deal with the same question over and over, even when you say, did you search or I, you know, whatever the case is, it takes unique people in some of these, these specific areas. Um, but, but I would say that number one, it's asking too much and then, and, and not having clear, a lot of that usually comes from not having a clear understanding of either what the community person's role really is. Is it like, eh, you do all these things, you do a little bit of these things, and you do a little bit of this stuff over right. here. They're always really poorly defined. Yeah. You're going to build community, and I don't know what that means, but you'll probably do yes. uh, online community and events and maybe social media. You could do emails too, right? You can do that. Sure. And you're you a great that. writer, and you run events, and you, it's like yeah. humans aren't like that. But I think that – so if you see a job description like that, to me it usually means they probably don't have – goals and stuff set up in a way that they really know what they need or what they don't need, right? Or why they need it. So to me, those are some red flags, I think. Uh, you know, if you see a community role and it's pretty well defined, it's like they know what they need, they know what's happening is different than that like hodgepodge. Also, community roles aren't always called community, right? Right. Or opposite. Sometimes they're community and you're like, no, that's an email marketer. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, well, so so let's say the company gets the, you know, their goals straight and they get the description right, like they're pretty clear on what they want. Now they're trying to find the right person. Do you see companies making mistakes at that point? Like h- how do you find the right person to join your community team? What are the things you're looking for there? So having just gone through that process, um, number one, it's really tough because they're actually – Unfortunately, right at this moment, a lot of great community folks who are, you know, looking, either looking for something new, um, you know, generally out of a job or, or, you know, we're always looking to grow and kind of understanding what our path in community is. So lots of people are out there looking right now. To me, it often honestly is finding that right combination with your team, like who, who fits in with your team. Lots of people can do the job. Like when I was interviewing people for this role, I would talk to these folks and I'm like, clearly the, this person could do this job. Like the work itself. I, I think a lot of the stuff isn't lots of people could do this type of work. They probably wouldn't fit in with the group, with the community itself, with you know, the company culture. Um, So to me, those are the things that I tend to look for because I feel like the skills themselves. Really? You think anyone can do this work and (laughs) has the skills? (laughs) I would strongly challenge it. Oh God, I'm going to get all kinds of attacked. No, no, no. So I'm not saying, (laughs) 
I'm I'm saying though, if somebody has been, you know, has done community work, you can see on their resume, you talk to them, you ask them the questions, like it, sometimes it's clear that somebody could, you know, could moderate whether they do it well. I don't know. Right. So whether how they, you know? Right. I guess that's what I want to get into, right? Like, what do you look for to know that someone can do it well? Like I've hired people that frankly, I thought would be great. And uh-huh. and then when it came down to like building the community and growing a new event program or, you know, the, the kind of diligence and energy that it takes to grow something out of nothing, especially, uh-huh. I feel like once a, a community is up and running and it's more about kind of like tweaking and adjusting, maybe then it's easier. But to, to hire community people to build community and build new programs, it's hit or miss sometimes. And, and people who seem great end up just not being able to really rally the community and get engagement going and and get the program up and running and yeah i'm curious like have you seen that and and what are the things that you look for to know like this person has what it takes to really galvanize community yeah i think so so let me tell you how i start interviews and not that i think it's like the most unique thing in the world but i feel like it tells me a lot about people right away is I don't start asking questions and I don't say, tell me about yourself and what have you. I say, what questions do you have for me? I'm happy to answer whatever. If the question is, you know, is this, is this mainly nine to five job or what are the benefits at out systems or whatever the case I'm like, okay, that that's not going to do it for me. They're like, well, what are the, what are the goals with the community? Do you have, a voice document, do you have, you know, and they start asking you about the community and they're asking you questions that almost make me a little uncomfortable because maybe I don't know all the information as much as, you know, that's to me is when I'm ready to start digging in and because they're putting it out there. Then I say, well, what have you done in the past? How did you get to that point? And it helps me sort of dig in, um, in a different way than just starting, you know, tell me about a time Mm. when you grew a community from this to this, right. Mm. Hearing what they want to know about is going to tell you a lot. Like if the first question, you know, Mm. it's always interesting to me what that first question is. So now everybody who ever meets with me will know, (laughs) How to, yeah. how to ask the first question. <laughs> you just start asking me questions. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, and honestly, I had a few conversations in this, in this last round where they said, I don't remember the exact question, but it was something like, it wasn't like the vision because I, you know, I could, can talk about that, but it would, there were a couple of times where it was like, all right, these are some tough questions. Now let me re now I can reply that, you know, sort of back to you and like, where does this come from? Have you built this vision before? And, you know, how would you measure that? And, you know, if you're expecting me to know how this thing is, how would you do it? And to me, again, the thing is, when it comes down to it, you're, you're never going to know until somebody's actually working, right? Like, that's, I think, one of the hardest parts. So finding someone that you feel can learn those things that they may not know is also going to be Like I've had people who initially, like they didn't know that they loved to do a thing. I had someone actually at We Localize um, in between Moz and Out Systems. She would go on and on about how she just hated spreadsheets and data. She didn't do data. 
just, you just tell me. She's like, I don't know. I don't do data. And so we sent her to some, some like online classes and she started learning. She's like, did you know that you can import a spreadsheet into Power BI and you could do that, you know, like, you know, and she got super into it. And the next thing you know, she wanted to run, she wanted to be the one that pulled the numbers and created a weekly or a monthly email with all of our growth numbers and different things, right? Because she went from being scared and saying she didn't like it to just realizing, oh, she just didn't know anything about it. And then it became a part of her job because, you know, we were able to, you know, we knew when hiring her that she was, she asked a lot of questions of like, well, how do you do this? And how will I know when I've uh, achieved when I need to achieve? And Okay. So, yeah. So you're asking questions. So find the, find out what they care about. Like the questions that they ask will kind of tell you where their head's going, what's most important to them, and do they value the community, and are they thinking about things the right way? Then, assuming they're thinking about things the right way, you hire them, and then you kind of see what they're actually good at and what skills they have, what skills they could learn, and you help them grow. Yes. (laughs) That that sort of... uh sums it up. And, and of course, not every hire is perfect. Definitely not. And there have been times where, you know, I've hired someone who is just not right for the role, but great for the company. Or I've mm. acquired teams. That has happened a couple times too, where I've acquired someone, you know, on, on a team when I started new or whatever, and have found that like, this is not the right role for you. Mm. You're really, you know, like this, I had someone at WeLocalize who was really interested in learning sales. She was like, I, I went to this event and helped the sales team. And I feel like that this would be something I would like to learn. And so I worked with the head of sales on, okay, how can we start getting her? She works half time as she transitions. And then she moved full time at some point over there because I knew she wasn't right for the job, but she also wasn't someone I felt like we should just get, you know, that shouldn't be on the company at at all because she cared a lot about um, the organization and that, that greater community of localization and translation. So, so, so thinking in that way as well, right? Like uh, I, I also, I, I love to steal people from the, within the company if I can hire someone from customer service or support or marketing or wherever, I love it because they already, they know a lot already. They're usually, usually they're like, okay, I've been watching community for a while now and Mm. I want to learn all of those things. Um, Mm. I'm a big fan of stealing people from other parts of the organization. I won't tell the other teams that. (laughs) Have you had to fire anyone? I have. I have. How do you know when it's like, all right, we just need to cut this versus like finding a different place in the company or finding a different role? It's not easy. It it usually boils down to, I'm very much a, like, give someone a second chance or a third chance even. I'm maybe sometimes not as quick on the um, letting someone go as I keep thinking like, okay, but they'll be better over here and let's try that. So I I don't know that that's necessarily my strongest suit. Um, 
luckily I've only had to do it a couple times, honestly. Um, and then, and when the, when the, uh, layoffs happened at Moz, I was on sabbatical. <laughs> I remember that. So I wasn't, I, I would have been a part of those conversations as the, the senior director, but I wasn't because I wasn't in the office and such. So I also didn't have to deal with that. I mean, I dealt with the aftermath of layoffs and whatnot, but, but I didn't have to lay anyone off because I had been on sabbatical. So what are the things that you've learned from that experience that are important to do when, when laying off someone from a community team or I guess anyone, but has there been anything that's made that process transition better I mean, I know you, you've gone to bat for, I remember when Moz had the layoffs, you went to bat for helping your team land new jobs. Um, Erica ended up coming and working with us and running CMX Summit. And I remember speaking to you and you, you know, were really advocating for the, for the folks on your team. Layoffs are, of course, a little different than having to fire someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are, the, what are the things that you think are important to keep in mind? I think the biggest the biggest part of it is is coming at it with empathy, empathy from for where they're at, knowing that I mean one of the the reasons that that the first you know one of the the times that that really stands out to me was uh, that she was also just like a friend, right? And so how do how do you yeah. you know you, you have to deal with letting somebody go who just isn't working, but. For me, it also came down to, you know, trying multiple times, lots of feedback, doing all of these things, and it and it it's just not improving. Mm-hmm. I also um you my team knows how I feel about the work that they're doing all the time. Like if somebody does something that I'm like, why would you do that? That is you know, like, what were you thinking? Like, we have that conversation right away. Mm. So there's never a like, well, I didn't know. Or, you know, there, there's never a worry about that. How, how do you do that? Do you do you get on a call right away? Do you just send them a message? Depending on whatever the situation is. Um, having been a remote manager now for almost four years, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it is a, I hate to be the person that says, um, Hey, let me know when you get a sec so we can chat because no matter what the reason is, people freak out when you get that message, right? <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, it, it totally is. And I've done it and I've said, okay, don't worry. It's really good stuff. Or it's, you know, like, hey, I want to talk about this thing or getting off a call and saying, do you have time to talk a minute? Because we should talk about what just happened there. And let me coach you on how let's, let's talk about how to improve how that goes or, or as soon as it happens, that was awesome. Yeah. Or like, oh my gosh, you handled that so well. People, people know. And, and I think that that's really important to, for someone who, you know, who, who isn't like meeting their, whatever, whatever the number, if it's whatever their goals are, they're not able to do the work that is expected. The biggest thing is, for them to know what those expectations are. If they don't know mm-hmm. exactly what's expected, if you say the expectation is this, but you really mean, or, you know, the expectation is X, 
And what you really want is an expectation is Z, you know, something totally different is higher, it's lower, whatever the case is. If you're not being totally honest with what the actual expectation is, it's going to be a lot harder for them to, to know. Um, I've had people, I had someone, two different people at We Localize. One person told me, oh, Americans are so blunt. I love it. You always tell me exactly what you, you know, what you, what you need, what you want, what's good, what's bad. And then another person on my team told me that she thought Americans never say what they want and they're always going around it depends which Americans. It, the circle. She, they were both talking <laughs> about me, was what was funny. Uh. <laughs> um, they were both talking about me specifically. Uh, and, and one read me as being very direct and upfront, and the other read me as, uh, obviously, they were both from, you know, they, you know, they weren't from the U.S. And, and they both just read me very differently based on their culture. So... I thought that was really interesting and it was kind of an eye opener for me to remember from the culture perspective, especially if you're managing a global team, you know, or, or anyone who's not, you know, from your same background that people take things differently. I asked, I asked somebody once, why didn't you speak up in that meeting? Like you are the one who are, you're running that program. Why didn't you say this, this, and this? And the response was, I was the lowest ranking person on that call. I didn't think it was appropriate for me to say anything. And I was like, whoa, like, okay, I get it. I hear where you're coming from. I'm going to ask you to try to throw that out the door (laughs) because in this case, you are in charge and it's okay if the VP has something to say, but you're running that program and it's okay for you to jump in and ask more questions, you know, you don't have to be rude, but you own that thing and helping somebody who sort of felt that that structure, that they were the lowest, you know, kind of ranking person and that they should just shouldn't say anything. And that was a learning, you know, to me, it was like, okay, so this is something I can help them learn. But it was also for me to understand how to work with them, knowing that, that culturally, um, they were coming at it from a different, because my reaction was like, what is wrong with you? Why didn't you jump in and say like, you, what is going on? And they were like, oh, it wasn't my place. You know, like, it's not your place. You own it. <laughs> so, so going back to kind of managing, so, you know, giving feedback early, that person's not meeting those expectations. And then it kind of gets to a point you have to make the call. But you're just looking for like, all right, did I consistently give this feedback? Yeah. And you're not seeing the improvement. So ultimately you have to make the call and, and mm-hmm. cut it. And and really being letting the person know, like I early early in my career um made a really horrible mistake. So this was I was I was a web developer at some previous point in my life. I don't know long time ago. And, um, my first management experience was managing a team of developers. And I I had one guy (laughs) that I had been, um, kind of keeping track of all the things that he was like messing up, but I didn't tell him about them. I waited until all of these things happened. And then I pulled him aside and said, this, 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 and this. And he was like, well, that's not fair. 
that thing happened um, two months ago. Why wouldn't you tell me that then? And I was like, oh, I don't know, because I don't know what I'm doing, but thanks. <laughs> you know, check. I just learned that. Yeah. So that has always stood out to me as a, like, one of the biggest learning points when I first became a manager was actually telling people right away when they did something wrong, because this, this guy, this poor guy was like, this isn't fair at all. Like you didn't tell me that that was wrong. I had no idea. Yeah. We we always say, um, give feedback early and often. So like as early as, as soon as it happens, give that feedback at that point. Or one thing that we do as well is we do weekly one-on-ones. And so like, like let's say it's something that for whatever reason you don't feel like now's the time to share it or you didn't want to share it on Slack at some point in the next week you'll have an opportunity to share feedback in that one-on-one and we actually have a section of the one-on-one specifically for giving feedback and so that's a huge thing I learned yeah. I actually learned this because I had to uh, fire someone and I was like giving them feedback as I was like firing them oh. And kind of both of us realized while yeah. that was happening that like they hadn't heard some of that feedback before. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. shit, <laughs> like it just, bu- it just builds up so much to the point that, um, that like it, it feels too late and it, and it kind of piles on, mm-hmm. um, if you don't do it really early and really consistently. And it's hard, I think, especially for community people, because we're so empathetic and we don't, and I, I know I'm very conflict avoidant. I know a lot of other community professionals are the same. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to avoid giving feedback because you don't want to like make someone feel bad. But you realize that it's actually doing them a disservice by not giving them that feedback. And, and it, it ends up blowing up in a much bigger way and much more conflict. hundred percent. Exactly. But it also goes for good feedback. You know, I think that we often forget to tell people what a great job they're doing. Right. And when they really hit something out of the ballpark and totally. make sure that they get, and, and some people do not like those things public. I found that out the hard way also of, you know, being like, yay, somebody did a thing. And they were just like, they just wanted to crawl, uh, you know, in a hole and die. Cause they did not want everybody, <laughs> you know, being, they just didn't want to be in front of everyone. This was not a community person. <laughs> this was before I was doing community stuff. Um, right. But knowing kind of just how to give that feedback and praise, I think that also goes towards knowing the team. I, my, I have one-on-ones with the team every week. Every one-on-one goes differently, differently in the sense that some are very structured because she goes in every week. She has a list of things that she wants to discuss. I know that she's going to have a list. I go check the list first. The other one is like, yeah, I didn't get to the list. I think I'm going to talk about this. They have different styles and I'm not going to force them to all have one style because I know that they're different. And, and so I modify the way I work to not, not, it's not like I have to completely, you know, change myself every time, but when it comes to the one-on-ones, I approach them with how I know they're going to work better. Totally. Each person is different and takes feedback in different ways. As you were, were you the one, didn't you all create at Moz the uh, user manuals? The user manuals? Yeah. Like, uh, I think Erica on our team brought it to our team where each person created a user manual. Oh, 
for themselves. Yes. That would explain, you know, here's how I like to receive feedback. Here's how I like to communicate. Yes. Here are my pet peeves. Here here are things I love. Here's my like love language, whatever. Mm -hmm. All these things about how to work with me that aren't made explicit usually. And I, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And, and what was, what was really great about that too, is we all, we each presented it to like the larger team. I think it was probably, maybe did that with the the whole like marketing team. And what's interesting is I, I use that at, at We Localize. I actually sent that before I even started, had sent it to my new boss of like, just, I wanted to send this to you. This was something I created, yeah. you know, I'd love to hear. And he was just like, this is amazing. How do we make <laughs> sure that we all do this? Right. Um, because it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, and it's really interesting to see what people say about themselves, you know, mm-hmm. like, and to your point from earlier, sometimes they say like, these are my strengths or these are things that you should or shouldn't ask me. It's like, well, maybe your perception of yourself isn't exactly <laughs> accurate, but um, it's yeah. still good to know. And and things like pet peeves or how people like to be communicated with, that is all, I think, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Cool. We're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Okay. First question, favorite book or could be another resource on community or the work that you do? <sighs> I'm going to regret saying this. Um, <laughs> do you know my answer? I think so. Why I regret it. Rich Millington. <laughs> Your arch nemesis. My arch nemesis. I thought he was my arch nemesis. Damn it. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting. So his first book, which is, which was, I had, um, Buzzing communities. Yes. Uh, one of my, my team members recently posted, uh, I just got my book and she posted a picture and it was buzzing communities. Um, and I laughed and I sent him a screenshot and I was like, uh, <laughs> where are you always around? <laughs> um, For everyone who doesn't know Jen and Rich have, uh, I don't know what you call it. A, a love, hate, uh, a comical. Like a, yeah. It's like a, it's like a brother, sister, like beat each other up, um, mm-hmm. smack each other around. So you'll love his book, but then you'll beat him (laughs) with that book. Yeah. So, so that particular book, um, I read that book and actually said, Hey, we, we need this guy. I don't know who this, this person is. Um, I think we should have them speak at MozCon. This was, I don't even know what year it was. And I listened, I decided to join one of his webinars and he saw that Jennifer Lopez was on a webinar and, um, and, and he kept calling on me like Jennifer Lopez, what would you, cause he thought it was so funny <laughs> that Jennifer Lopez was on anyway, buzzing communities. That was the first, it's kind of old school. Uh, he's going to really hate me. He'll never listen. Right. Um, Probably not. and then his second <laughs> book as well. I actually, I actually have really, uh, really enjoyed both of his books, but I will never tell him that in person. Uh, indispensable community. That's the other one. He has a new one coming out soon, too. I don't know what it's called yet. All right, cool. Well, you can't use Rich again. Who's one person that you really look up to in the space or that you learned a lot from? So right now, specifically, um, and and I feel like a lot of people will say this, but Erica Cool, Mm -hmm. also coming from Salesforce and, and right now with what we're doing with OutSystems and, you know, it's, it's very similar. So 
I, over the years, have sort of watched her and learned from her and, and, and such. But right now, it's even more relevant, the work that she has had done with Salesforce, um, the posts she's putting out right now. Like, I, I think she's just incredible. And I've kind of yeah. always sort of looked up to her and the work that she's done. Not the first shout out Erica's gotten <laughs> on this podcast. She's awesome. If you had to take kind of all of your lessons in building community and management and the work that you do from your entire life, and uh, you had to sum it up into one Twitter-sized message that you would leave the world, like let's say you're, you're going to die tomorrow and you have to leave this one message for everyone to, to really encapsulate your lessons, what would it be? Oh my God, that's stressful. He's like, you're going to die tomorrow. Um, I don't know. Something with Grumpy Cat. <laughs> what do you think is the most important thing? Like, what's what would you sum up as, like, focus on the, if you want to build community, if you want to do this kind of work, here's something that I think you should really focus on. Everybody has a really bad day. So don't make it worse. That's good. That's true. I, I try to assume like clearly that person stubbed their toe this morning because <laughs> they <laughs> not. And what? Why would that be your advice? Everybody has something going on, right? Like your troll, your troll that seems to just hate everything that you're doing. They're probably dealing with who knows what is going on, right? Your employee that uh, your team member who you know, who, who isn't answering messages right away or I don't know, whatever, however they're acting is strange. You know, there's, there's likely something going on. I mean, people are just dealing with stuff all the time. And I think, especially right now, everybody, you know, our emotions are up and down and, you know, we don't know what day it is. We don't know what's good anymore. I don't know. I, I just think people always have something going on and there's no reason to, just make it all worse. Very true. Very good advice. Also, Grumpy Cat is awesome. <laughs> RIP. All right. Awesome. And uh, anywhere that people can go to find you, anything that you want to share? I'm not really writing much. Um, uh, Twitter, I guess. I'm, I'm Janita on Twitter. That's been my old, long time uh, Twitter handle. J-E-N-N-I-T-A? Yes. Now... You might just hear um, all my love for Lin-Manuel Miranda and Grumpy Cat. <laughs> I can't guarantee that you'll learn anything. <laughs> awesome. And everyone can go to outsystems.com? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Slash community <laughs> to learn all about the community. Check out the community program there. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You've spoken at many CMX summits. You've always been such a giving member of the community and always a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. And I know everyone who's worked for you has only the the most positive things to say about your leadership and how you've supported them. So, um, yeah, it's grateful for you and all the work that you're doing and, and, uh, to have you in the community. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, I, I've loved being a part of the CMX community. Awesome. I'm glad. Glad we're doing something right. <laughs> For sure. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Bye.